Hello, everyone, and welcome to Myth in the Mojave, 30 minutes of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important to our lives today. I'm your personal mythologist, Catherine Svela. Wherever you may be in this wide, beautiful, crazy world of ours, you are part of this story circle. Well, (laughs) happy holidays, my friends, and happy new year, too. By the time I record another podcast for you, we will have crossed over into 2019, and I know it's a cliche at this point to mention how fast time's going by and how quickly these years are passing, but seriously, can you believe that 2018 is already drawing to an end, for better or for worse, right? Well, today I want to tell you the third in what I'm seeing as a trilogy of stories about sisters who saved their brothers. I shared with you six swans and 12 brothers, and today I want to tell you the seven ravens, which was also collected by the brothers Grimm and is also part of an anthology edited by Maria Tatar. Uh, I was contemplating this story, and then honestly, I haven't been feeling all that well lately, like a lot of people fighting off the various bugs that we share this time of year and pass around among ourselves. It's given me a little bit of time to sit and look out the window, and I've been really struck by all of the ravens. I mean, we have a lot of ravens here in the Mojave, but all the ravens right now Um, in various configurations from flocks of six or seven or eight or more to pairs to solo birds flying west to east across the valley below our house here at dusk or just hanging up there high in the blue winter sky testing the wind currents. And they have just kept this story in front of me. So um, so I'm going to go ahead and share it with you today. It has some similarities between the various stories, but there's also an interesting uh, message that I found here that I will, of course, share with you at the very end. So let me just get to the story while I've got a little bit of energy left today. I invite you to sit back and relax and just Listen and enjoy the story, and as always, notice the moments or the details that particularly speak to you. There once was a couple uh, happily married, and the they had seven seven sons. And the man, the father, often had wished to have a daughter. At every time. The baby was born, was another son, and, you know, he was happy with his sons. But he really did wish that he was going to have a daughter. And finally, his wife told him that she was pregnant. And when he heard there was the possibility for another child, he hoped and hoped and hoped for a little girl. And when the baby was born, it was indeed a daughter. There was great rejoicing at this. But she was rather small and weak, and her parents were concerned that she might not survive very long, and they wanted her to be baptized, decided to baptize her at home. And the father told 
one of the boys, to hurry off to the well to get some baptismal water. The other six boys were so excited about the new sister and the whole enterprise that they ran after him. And when they all got to the well, there was such a scramble to be the first one to get the water in the pitcher and carry it back that they jostled each other and dropped the pitcher into the well. Well, they all stood there stunned, not knowing what to do, and uh, more than a little bit frightened about the prospect of going home and facing their dad. When the boys failed to return home, their father got very impatient, and then he started to get angry. And he said, those wicked boys, they must have completely forgot about this important errand. They probably got distracted somewhere, and they're playing games, and he worked himself up. He was really afraid that his little daughter was going to die unbaptized until finally he cried out, Damn it, I wish those boys would all turn into ravens. And as soon as he finished speaking those words, he heard a whirring sound over his head and looked up to see seven glossy coal-black ravens flying off into the distance. Well, it was too late to undo the curse. And the parents were very sad about the loss of their sons. And they could, however, console themselves somewhat with their precious little daughter. And she gained strength very quickly and became more and more beautiful and delightful with each passing day. And grow up, she grew up to be a really precious and lovely child. And her parents just decided they were, they were not going to talk to her about her brothers. And so for a while, quite a while, she didn't know that she had any siblings. But one day, She happened to overhear some people talking about her, and they were saying that even though she was a really delightful girl and truly beautiful, she was nonetheless responsible for the unfortunate fate of her seven brothers. Well, she was very puzzled when she heard this. Seven brothers? She had seven brothers, and she had something to do with their absence? She was very upset, and she went home to her father and her mother and asked them if she really did have brothers and what had happened to them. And then they knew that they really couldn't keep the secret any longer, so they did tell her that she had seven brothers, but they assured her that it was the will of heaven that had caused their misfortune, and it absolutely had nothing to do with her birth. She was not, they said, responsible. But... The girl couldn't stop thinking about her brothers, and day after day she pondered this whole situation, and her conscience plagued her, and she believed that it was up to her to disenchant her brothers. She couldn't ultimately think about anything else. She just she didn't have a moment's peace, and so she decided to secretly leave home and go out into the world and 
find her brothers and rescue them, no matter what it cost her, no matter what was involved. She gathered up a little ring to remind herself of her parents. She took a loaf of bread in case she got hungry, a jug of water in case she got thirsty, and a little stool to sit on in case she got tired. And she slipped out of the house and started walking. Well, this little girl ended up walking very far. She went to the end of the world. She came to the sun, but it was way too hot and very frightening. And besides, it ate small children up. So she ran away from the sun as fast as she could, and next she went to the moon. But the moon was way too cold, and it was also very scary and evil. And when it saw her, it sniffed the air and said, Hmm, I smell something, and it's human flesh. And so she ran as fast as she could right into the stars, who were, she discovered, very friendly and kind. And each one of the stars was sitting on its own little chair. And when she got to the morning star, the morning star stood up and handed her a wishbone and said, Unless you have this wishbone you won't be able to open up the glass mountain. And that is where your brothers are living. The girl took the wishbone. She wrapped it up very carefully in a cloth and put it in her pocket. And she started walking again until she reached the glass mountain. She went all the way around the mountain trying to find a way in, and eventually came to the gates, but they were locked. So she reached into her pocket to take out the wishbone. But when she pulled out the cloth, there was nothing there. And she realized, oh my God, she must have lost the gift that was given to her by that good star. So now what should she do? She wanted desperately to save her brother's but she no longer had the key to the glass mountain. Well, the little sister took out a knife and cut off her little finger. She put it into the lock, and presto, the gate opened. She walked in. A little dwarf came up to meet her. My dear child he said. What are you looking for? I'm looking for my brothers, the seven ravens, she said. Oh, the dwarf said, my masters, the ravens, aren't home, but you can come in and wait for them until they return. She came in and watched while the dwarf carried food in for the ravens and placed it on seven little plates, and then he put some water in seven little glasses When he was finished, the sister went around and she took a tiny bite from each one of the little plates, and she took a little sip from each one of the little cups, and then she dropped the ring she had brought with her into the last cup. All of a sudden, she heard this tremendous whirring and fluttering of wings high up in the air, and the dwarf said, "'My masters, the ravens, will be here in a minute,' and she darted behind a door to watch. 
They came flying in and immediately went over to the table. They were so hungry and so thirsty that they started looking for their plates and their cups. And one after another, they said to each other, wait a minute, who's been eating from my plate? Wait a minute, who's been eating from my plate and my plate? And who's been drinking from my cup? Well, who's been drinking from my cup? Hmm, they said, it must have been a human mouth. When the seventh raven reached the bottom of his glass, the little ring rolled out. He took a good look at it and recognized that it was a ring belonging to his father and mother. Oh, may God grant that our little sister is here, he said. Then we would be saved. Well, their sister was standing behind that door listening to every word, and when she heard what he said, she came out. And all of the ravens got back their human form, and they hugged and kissed each other and went very happily home. So this story, like the other two, begins with the father. This one's not a king. In the other two stories, he was a king. But we have a father who can't take care of his kids. In the first story, the, fa- the king is out hunting, and he gets lost and fears for his life, and he ends up marrying an evil woman who tries to kill the kids and is the one who does the enchanting. Then we have a king who actually has murderous impulses towards his sons. And there are some other ineffectual or evil authority figures Um, In this case, the mother doesn't seem to play that much of a role. In other stories, we had the evil stepmom, and then we had the mother-in-law, and all of that. But this is another story about uh, brothers who are transformed, exiled, and the sister who saves them. Now, in this particular story, the sister makes a long journey. She doesn't spin, but she still has to use her body. She still has to go through a long process in which there is hardship and physical suffering of some sort. And in all three of these stories, the brothers are turned into birds, swans or ravens. Now, birds generally are uh, a, a primal other. I mean, they are, and they're, they're known to be messengers, Messengers from the other realms. I mean, they can fly. And where do they go? How high do they go? They are often seen as the carriers of memory and thought, omens. They know the future. And ravens, specifically in Europe, have an interesting uh, duality in their symbology. On the one hand, they are harbingers of misfortune. And obviously for the brothers who get turned into ravens, uh, that's not good luck. Um, They are harbingers of misfortune because they eat carrion. They eat corpses. Uh, In Norse mythology, the ravens were both reviled and respected for the fact that they came down in great flocks on the battlefields and uh, dispensed with the dead bodies. But ravens were also the friends of some Christian saints. They were the companions, a pair of them, of the Norse god Odin, 
one named thought, one named memory. They traveled all the worlds, all the realms, and brought back news to him every day. And in alchemy, the raven was a symbol for the blackened prima materia. So that is the, the, the core, the essential material that will be transformed. And of course, we also have the raven trickster, a black bird who was once white, according to many mythologies, except he got burnt, playing a trick of some sort. We know that ravens are birds with splendid intelligence, arresting communication. They are both worldly and otherworldly, which is something that can also be said of the swan. The swans, these like eerie, mysterious birds. And with both of them, and I think this is important because I think this is part of the message in these stories, there's this question of their voice, the swan song. Swan song, a metaphor for the final sound, is taken from the actual experience of swans getting trapped in the ice and calling out their death. And then we have the harsh voice of ravens and crows. There's something mysterious and threatening and eerie and also profoundly intriguing and kind of human-like. I mean, if you have ever been someplace uh, outside by yourself and had a big raven give you the eye and hop towards you and start clucking, you know that you are in the presence of something that is regarding you very specifically. Well, now in this story, the sister didn't have to be silent. The other two, she had to take a vow of silence. But I think there is woven through here uh, a message about voice, communication, expression, about being heard and understood, and the power of words. The power of words. I really like what Maria Tatar says at the very beginning of her introduction to this story. She says, quote, The power of curses, as this tale reveals, is equal to the power of wishes, end quote. Uh, the star motif, I just want to say parenthetically, has shown up in all of these stories. In this story, the sister goes to the stars, and it occurs to me that we wish upon a star. So in that curses and wishes. And in each one of these stories, we do have a curse and a wish. Somebody wants something, somebody gets cursed, and those things have to be transformed. The parent figures can't save the kids, as I've already discussed, and they are the ones with the wishes and the curses. And this alliance between brothers and sisters arises. And that's the thing that I want to focus on for a moment, as I'm thinking about these three stories, and this one in particular, brothers and sisters, the relationship between siblings, the natural alliance. In this story, uh, the sister is assured by her parents that she has nothing to do with the fate of her brothers, and yet her conscience plagues her. She can't shake off the sense of obligation. And isn't it true that in relationships, blood 
sibling relationships and also sometimes in uh, friendships or with people who feel to us to be truly brothers or sisters. There's an instinctual feeling of obligation and alliance. And it's so uh, interwoven into our understanding of that relationship that when it doesn't happen, when there's not a natural affection, we feel that to be wrong somehow. And yet, of course, it does sometimes happen, but it's it goes against the grain. Now, in two of the stories, the two I told you before, marriages do occur. The sister marries a king, and the two where she had to be silent. And those marriages, in the end, are part of the happy ending. But though the, the king that the sister marries, he really serves first and primarily in the story to bring another level of threat into her life, to make the pressure of the vow of silence even more intense. She gets married, and that's necessary. We, under, we can feel that in the story. And yet, the fact that she's married intensifies her experience and the demands of her process, which is always about saving her brothers. It's never about the marriage. It's always about saving her brothers. And for this, she's willing to die. And in this story, too, I think we would imagine, in fact, I think the sister thinks to herself, at any cost, she would be willing to die. So I got interested in this, brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, as opposed to marriages and many fairy tales that we work with, the desired union is the union between the masculine and the feminine as the inner husband and wife or king and queen and And there's something very beautiful and unique about that. But this is a different kind of pairing, brothers and sisters, siblings. So I looked into the etymology of that a little bit. And sibling, in its core meanings, is kinsman, relative, one's own. One's own. That which is naturally belongs to you. And it came over time to mean brothers and sisters. In the Old English, this word sibling, one's own, was connected to love and friendship and peace. And in this context, I find myself noticing that the tokens, the shirts and the rings that the sister uses in each of the story, one or the other, that she brings from home, from their shared place of origin, although they didn't really live there together. She brings those things from home, and that's how they recognize each other. Well, just a couple more thoughts about this different model or pairing. And if we move away from the notion of our inner king and queen or our inner marriage as we think about images to help us build bridges or mend rifts in our own psyche. There's something uh, more 
natural is the only word that comes to me. There's an intimacy in the reclamation of that aspect of self or psyche that is imagined as brother or sister that feels closer and in some ways almost more essential to me anyway than the husband, wife, prince, princess thing. So maybe we have these brothers and sisters in our own psyches, brothers and sisters which need to be reclaimed, restored, which through their work together transform what's been cursed, what has been rendered incomprehensible or foreign, and yet continues to be a presence, a felt presence in the life and an emissary from that other realm. Bringing messages, maybe. Bringing another perspective. In the first story that I told you, the six swans, the sleeve of the youngest brother's shirt isn't finished, and so he has a swan wing where he should have an arm. And I love that image to me suggesting that the mystery is always present, even when what we consider to be the process is complete. So as I'm sitting here contemplating the flipping of yet another calendar and this move into the new year, I'm wondering, maybe this is the time to recognize the other, the other within and without as kin, as our own and to do the painstaking work of making this a living reality. Welcome into 2019, my friends. And that's it for me, Catherine Savela. For Myth in the Mojave, this time, this week, and for this year, (laughs) feel free to contact me. If you have questions or comments about today's program, I encourage you once again, if you've listened to all three of them, uh, to consider what you like or don't like about the particular stories and let yourself get into the conversational space between the three of them. It can really be quite interesting. If you are new to Myth in the Mojave, I hope you'll go to the Myth in the Mojave website or the Facebook page and subscribe so that you receive regular program announcements and links every time I release a new episode. I'm very grateful to those of you who share this program with others and spread the word about Myth in the Mojave. My process in doing this work is very organic and rests upon our shared appreciation for each other and for what can happen in the space of a story in this program. And finally, if you are finding something of value in Myth in the Mojave, please join the Myth in the Mojave community on Bandcamp. For only $5 a month, you have unlimited access to all of the programs. There are well over 100 that are archived there now. You will also be providing me with very important financial support in continuing to produce this program. I thank you so, so much for listening. Please tune in next time. And until then, happy mythmaking and keep the mystery in your life alive.